We are in 1 Peter chapter 1. We saw in the beginning of this series a life of stability, that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can believe that every other thing he said was true. And because we have now this foundation of truth, it allows us to be able to build on that and and to grow um, in that truth. But beyond that, it also we learned last week that it gives uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the ability to have peace in any and all circumstances. You know, the reality of the resurrection is what this, this, this series is all about. For us to be able to refocus on the significance of that remarkable day when the tomb was empty and Jesus was raised from the dead. It's something, obviously, that we don't want to be in the habit of just celebrating once a year. We want this, uh, this, this truth of the empty grave to be able to permeate every part of our being. We want it to permeate every segment of our life. We want to truly be able to live on empty as it relates to that truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first one was a life of stability. The second one was a life of peace. This morning we look at a life of hope. I said in the prayer this morning that it's not just for us, but it is also for us to carry this message out to a world that is hopeless, a world that is without God in the world. So I hope, I'll always love looking out as I'm teaching and seeing people jotting down notes and writing stuff down, and I hope that what this message does this morning is uh, lights a fire within us. It equips us to be able to carry this message of hope to those who desperately need it. I want you to consider who Peter's writing to as we think about this. This is the same Peter. This is Simon Peter of the, of, as the one of the disciples. This is the one who got to see Jesus do some very incredible things, who left the boat, left his fishing business to be a disciple of Jesus. He saw the blind uh, given sight. He saw the maimed uh, leap. He saw the mute speak. He saw the leper healed. He saw the dead raised. He saw Jesus crucified and saw him glorified. There was really no part of the Gospels that Peter was not a part of and didn't see firsthand and experience. And he's writing now to the Christians that have been dispersed, the diaspora. He's writing to those Christians who have undergone extreme persecution and have had to be displaced because of their faith. Uh, They would be driven out of their homes or villages um, as they were persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So he's writing this circular letter. It's to be passed beyond different regions where these dispersed Christians are. And no doubt, this is something that we may struggle a little bit with to be able to wrap our minds fully around who the audience was. Because very few of us, if any of us, have ever been dispersed because of our Christian faith. Very few of us have ever been driven from our home or driven from a region or lost a relationship uh, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Very few of us have ever been wounded, if any, uh, because of our stance for righteousness. Um, There probably, I'm sure, I know in here there have not been any that have lost their lives because of our faith. So Peter is writing to a very unique group of people. And he's writing to them because they have been dispersed. They're, they're, no doubt, they're wondering what's going on. Um, isn't the Christian life supposed to be victorious? Why are we then struggling with all of these 
trials that are coming in our life. And out of all the arsenal, out of, all, out of the huge quiver that Peter could have used uh, to pull an arrow out and shoot a message to him, he could have talked about victory. He could have talked about how he could have talked about their faith. He could have told them to just have peace. But it seems that the very first arrow that Peter pulls out of his quiver and shoots as far as a message to these believers is one of hope. He tells them to be hopeful and he gives them the reason for hope. And this is one of the very important things for us to be able to consider this morning is that as believers, we have hope. And I want you to think about this, is that God is our only source of true hope. Let me narrow it down even more than that. Jesus Christ is our only true source of hope. That got an amen at the earlier service. Jesus Christ is our only true source of hope. Now, if you think about it, Jesus Christ, thank you. Jesus Christ is not just our only true source of hope. You could replace hope with many other things. You could say that Jesus Christ is our only true source of life. Jesus Christ is our only true source of purpose. Jesus Christ is our only true source of peace. We could look at Jesus as our true source of those very fundamental things that we need in life. Let's look at it like this. If Jesus Christ is truly our only true source of life, that means he is not just the giver of life, but he is the sustainer of life and the fulfiller of life. He didn't just give us life at the moment of our salvation. He continues to enrich our life through our relationship with him. So there is, a, there is this primary sense of life given to us at salvation, but then there is this enriched life that we have as our relationship with him deepens. Our life gets enriched the more our relationship with the source deepens. And if you think of it in terms of hope, the moment we were saved, we were given a tremendous hope. But the same that is true with life is, is true with that fundamental need of hope. That the more my relationship deepens with the hope giver, the more my hope is enriched. Simply said, I can be a believer who has chosen to not have an, a closer, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I can be that guy, I can be Joe Christian who takes my salvation, puts it in my back pocket and uses it much like my driver's license when I get pulled over and just kind of pull it out here and there just to show a few people that I have it and not really take that relationship seriously. And if that's the case, I could get in, my, in certain scenarios in my life where I say, wait a second, my life is not at all as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. My life is not as satisfying as I truly thought it was going to be. My life really doesn't seem to have the purpose that I thought it should have. And it's, we, we may be tempted to blame God, but in reality, it's because we have not deepened or enriched that relationship with the life giver. You and I can choose how we want to invest that hope relationship. Do we want to just move from that very foundational hope that we received it at salvation, or do we want to continue to go on and get to know better the hope giver who is Jesus Christ? You see, Peter, in writing to these believers, I want you to see in verses 3 through 9, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according 
to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again or born us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom he have not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If God is the source of our hope, we can actually drift away from that relationship of hope. Not drift away in that we are no longer saved, but if God is my source of hope, it is possible for that hope to fade the more I drift away from God. And I want you to consider several things this morning about how Peter deals with these persecuted Christians, these Christians who are beat down. He takes them back to something that should be very familiar to them in their life. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively or living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are three areas in which Peter is reminding them to have hope. The first is this. He says, have hope because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Have hope because of what Jesus Christ did for you. He goes back and reminds those believers that they were born again to a living hope. Do you guys know what that phrase living hope means? It is, a, it is an incredible term. I mean, it has tremendous potential for our lives. What Peter is doing is taking them back in their minds to the moment that they first came to faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. He is transporting them back to the moment of their salvation. Remember, today in this story, they are being persecuted. Today they are being displaced because of their faith. Today they are being run out by torches and weapons. Today, but he reminds them, when you were born again by Jesus Christ, you were born into a living hope. Now we may tend to think that that living hope means that Jesus Christ is alive, so we have hope, and no doubt that can be true. But an even greater understanding of what Peter is telling those believers is you have been born again to a hope that lives with you. He's saying that that hope is not something that needs to necessarily be held back to the moment of your conversion. That hope, that truth, that new birth, that new life that you have, those promises of God that are yes and amen to you, he says those are still with you. 
It doesn't matter where you, what you're going through right now. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. It doesn't matter the pain or the discomfort or the heat of those trials. What Peter is saying is that that hope that you have been born again to is one that lives with you. You can experience that hope in any and all circumstances of life. What Peter is reminding them is that they have something within them. They have the source of hope at any and all circumstances and scenarios and situations in life. We can easily drift away from that idea. You know, Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, those believers at Ephesus, And he was reminding them of something very important. He was reminding them in chapter 2 what it was to be lost. You see, even though we're not supposed to live in the past as believers, I believe the past is a nice place to visit. And Paul is reminding them what what the status was of a lost person, what their status was before they came to faith in Christ. And he reminds them that the lost person is hopeless. They are without God in the world. And you know, for those of us that have bent a knee at Calvary's Hill, have recognized our need of a Savior, realizing He paid the full price for us, received by faith that free gift, not of our works, believed in his finished redemptive work on the cross, accepted him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that we have all of the hope in the world. Paul later writes to the Thessalonian believers who were also experiencing extreme persecution. Believers were dying. The the, the believers were being killed. Believers were undergoing such a, a strong hand of persecution. And Paul writes to them, reminding them that we are not to sorrow, speaking in regards to the death of a believer, that we are not to sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. You and I can have hope because of what Jesus did for us. Don't you love it, guys? He says this, according to his mercy. You see, we may think that we're the ones that initiated that relationship, but that's not so. That's not so. He says clearly, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy. Meaning God was the one that initiated it through his merciful love to be able to give us this hope. I want you to see the second thing. He doesn't just leave us back at the moment of our conversion, but he reminds us in verse 4, he has not just saved us and given us a hope that lives with us, but verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Think about those words for a minute. There may be some, who struggle with this idea that God loves you so much he's never going to let you go. There may be some who wrestle 
with this idea, this, this biblical concept of eternal security. But just think for a moment how Peter just described their salvation to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you guys catch all those words? It's almost as though Peter is trying to get a point across. An inheritance. That's not something I've earned. That's something I'm given because of a relationship. Because of a legal status of a relationship. Because I am a child of God, I now receive an inheritance from my Father who is God. To an inheritance incorruptible. It is never going to fall apart. Undefiled. It is not ever going to rust or corrupt. An an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. It fades not away. It's always going to be there. I'm never going to lose it. It's never going to dissipate. Reserved in heaven for you. It's not down here so my grubby hands can lose it. It's not down here held on to by me because I can forget my keys. I've, I almost forgot a kid one time. That's no joke. I was leaving a Bible study. I had two kids. It wasn't totally my fault. The third one was kind of new to me. And I was going out. I got the kids loaded up. And they, Candace and Vance Washburn came out and said, you want her? <laughs> Guys, if I can lose a kid almost, I'm pretty sure I could probably lose my salvation. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. I'm not the one responsible for keeping it under lock and key. He is. You see, Peter, in really glowing terms, doesn't just take them back to the moment of their salvation. He allows them to lift their eyes, which is an essential element of hope, to lift their eyes to the future and say, I have something to look forward to. I have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for me who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I am not just thankful for what I was given at my conversion. I am thankful that God, the great spiritual accountant, He who is just and faithful and true is keeping what I have committed to him for that last day. I have something above me and before me. That's the essence of hope, isn't it? You can't think of hope without this thought of lifting your eyes. You can't think of hope without this realization, this understanding That where I am right now pales in comparison to what is before me. You see, hope is an interesting thing. We can't have hope without faith. They're married. They're inseparable. But if I hope in something, it means I don't have the ability to make it come to pass myself. I don't have power. I don't have the position. I don't have the possessions to make it happen myself. I have to trust in somebody or something 
outside of me. And what Peter does is he doesn't go to them and say, you guys just need to buck up. He goes to them and he says, listen, your God is faithful. He reminds them it's not on them. It's on God. He takes them back first because of what Jesus did for me. Secondly, because of what Jesus will do for me. But thirdly and finally, we have hope because of what Jesus is doing for me right now. Aren't you glad that we don't just have to have hope in what he did do and hope of what he could do, what he will do in the future? We can have hope right now. And this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is really where our world is struggling right now because they're lost. They've been substituting hope in looking everywhere and anywhere but God. And they find out that there's this huge disappointment because really this world is a failure. I'm a, I fail. You fail. And when people put their hope in us, it's easy for us to fail them, but God never will. And if you notice what he says in verse 6, in this, in what? In the fact that I have all of this inheritance laid up for me as a child of God. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. How many of you have ever gone through trials or tough times? Let's go ahead and raise our hands. All right, some of you are raising other people's hands. Some of us ought to raise both hands and both feet. Some of us are not just in trials. We just came out of a trial, and you know what? We're anticipating one just around the corner. If you are going through trials, if you have gone through trials, if you want to be prepared for trials, listen to what Peter says in verse 6. Verse 6 tells us so much about trials. Verse 6 really gives us a, a, a great outline for being able to understand it, that when we're in the midst of these tough times, when we're in the midst of this really painful season, when we are in the midst of this tough, let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, and be reminded of what he told these believers who were losing it all for their faith in Christ. In this you greatly rejoice. First thing. Trials cannot rob me of my joy. In this, he says, greatly rejoice. Why can I rejoice in trials? Why can I rejoice in trials? Not just because I am a child of God and because I have an inheritance laid up for me in the future, but what I fail to remember sometimes is that no matter how hard the things are in my life that I'm experiencing, Pain, relational struggle, emotional distress, financial uncertainty. No matter what it is, there is nothing in this world that has the power to rob me of my joy unless I let it. Nothing. I can look the worst of the world in the face. And count it all joy when I fall in various trials. You know why? Because the joy I possess as a believer was not given to me by the world. The joy that I have within me as a believer 
was not provided to me through a lost and fallen world. It was provided to me by a holy, loving, righteous God and placed within me by His Spirit. Simply said, the world did not give me this joy and the world can't take it away. I hold and cling to the promises. The second thing this verse teaches me is that I can rejoice, though now for a little while. You want, a, you want another interesting fact about trials? They only last for a season. And we don't know how long that season is. But the good thing about a season is there's a certain time of starting and a certain time of stopping. So we can know that even though life may truly be difficult, we have that promise that it's going to end as believers. You know what? A lost world doesn't have that promise. A lost world doesn't, can't look out in the middle of the ocean and expect to see a shore of refuge. All they can expect is to be tossed and turned, only trusting in the things of this world and experience the, the pain of the failure when that falls apart. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. Oh, you know what Peter's saying? The third thing about trials? They meet a need. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, when you feel like you just can't take anymore, you've been there. You've been grieved or sorrow. You may have even been fearful. It seemed as though there was almost so much on your shoulder that you didn't know how you were going to be able to take another step or take another breath. And then to read what Peter says to these believers is that, you know what? Those trials are meeting a need. He reminds us of what that need is. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Simply put, he's saying that our faith may grow. When we're in trials, there's difficult times. It's important to remember that it's not about our situation, it's about our sanctification. It's not about what it's not about getting out of it, it's about what we get out of that trial. What Peter was doing was reminding them. He was giving them a shot right in the heart to remind them that their purpose, that their trial, their challenge is to serve a great purpose from God. I want you to see this last part. Whom you have not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I can have hope in my life as a believer because of what Jesus did for me. I can have hope as a believer because of what Jesus will do for me. And I can have hope as a believer right now because of what Jesus is doing for me. This morning, you say, Pastor, you're, you're preaching to the choir. 
Do you remember I said in the very beginning that if God is our source of hope, the closer we walk to Him, the more that hope can be enriched. That we can be a card-carrying Christian that the only time our salvation is used again is when we pull it out to show somebody or to get out of trouble or to get the discount at Red Lobster. Chick-fil-A. Freddy's. I could go on and on. Did you guys know pastors eat free at Freddy's on Sundays? Anyway, I digress. Here's my question to you. Here's my question. Maybe this morning it's not about you having a new hope. Maybe for us as believers it's about having a renewed hope. To be able to go back to that place this morning where you say, you know what, God, apart from you, I would have no hope. To remember those words of the apostle as he wrote to the Ephesians, to remind them that in their lost condition they had no hope. And as a believer this morning, those of you that have no doubt that you you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if that is you and you've become worried and fretting and, and concerned and fearful over scenarios in your life or even the future, that you may say, God, forgive me. Because you, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, have given me a living hope, a hope that lives with me. And there's nothing in this world that ought to take that hope away because he is faithful. Secondly, maybe all this talk about hope sounds great, but you've never started a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe deep down right here in your heart, at the very core of who you are, you know something missing. You don't need me to tell you. You don't need your mother to tell you. You don't need your spouse to tell you. You know. It's right here. A God-sized hole that's never been filled. Maybe in a spot where nobody knows or realizes you're fearful. You're terrified. You're afraid. Resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't just give us stability. It doesn't just give us peace. It gives us hope. Today. If you have a past with God, you have a future with God. And today, each one of us can start that relationship with Christ or renew, enrich that relationship that we currently have with him right now. He does not want his children to ever be in a hopeless situation. Aren't you thankful? Let me end with this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands as a reminder for every believer that there is never a situation in which I am to be hopeless. Not one. Guys, I've been able to stand at hospital beds with family members who weren't expecting their loved one to make it. And I was able to pray, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on. But I know there is no reason for us to be without hope. You can have that hope today. 